Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. It's already been a good day. Can you help me out? Have you ever seen a future Olympian before? You are right now. That's what's happening right now. That's why we did that. We did that slow so that everybody could give them a little shout out. Well, again, uh, what an amazing morning we've already had. And we just really believe that this year for us in 2017 uh, is a year of establishment where the roots that God wants to put in us as a family and as a community begin to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And a couple of the really foundational pieces for us um, is this thing called World Mandate. And World Mandate is a, a missions conference that we've been a part of, really that our movement of churches, our network of churches that we call Antioch uh, for over 30 years. And it is an incredible time of coming together and really saying, God, you know what? We don't just want to see what you're doing in our lives. We want to see how our lives can affect what you're doing around the world. And so you might be thinking, like, I don't want to be a missionary. That's cool. This conference is for you. It's not for missionaries. It's not like a missions conference. It's for everyday people that want to see Jesus do big things in their lives. That's what World Mandate is all about, and we're going to worship God a lot, and we're going to look at who Jesus is a lot, and I want you to be there. Uh, it's coming up in a couple of weekends. It starts on Friday, January 27th, and is that right? No, that's a Thursday. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Friday, January 27th, uh, and we want you to be there. As, as I've been saying, and it's coming true, if you haven't registered yet, you need to do that, like maybe today, worldmandate.com, uh, because it is filling up very, very fast. Uh, we're doing it a unique way uh, this year where we, instead of having one gathering in an arena, we're having 10 gatherings all over the country. Uh, and so the Waco location only has 2,200 seats. And so um, those are going to go very, very quickly, and they already are, and they're filling up fast. But uh, if you haven't jumped in yet and registered for that, you need to make it happen. But when you go to the website, you need to make sure that you pick the Waco spot, okay? Don't buy a ticket to Norman and show up at Waco and be like, I got a ticket. We'll look at you and be like, no, you don't. Enjoy your drive to Norman. You'll be there just in time for the Saturday morning session, okay? So make sure that when you go to worldmandate.com, you click Waco and you buy your ticket there. If it says sold out, I'm so sorry. But there is an option for you. You can stream it. You can buy the digital package, okay? And so if you're unable to make it, if you can't make the trip down to Waco, still buy the digital pack. I think it's like 25 bucks, and you can watch it on your computer, on Apple TV, or whatever mode of Samsungness or Googleness that you jam with, okay? Like, you can watch that. So be a part of the conference. If you're not even going to go, that's totally cool, but watch it here because it will be a foundational time for us as a church, because this whole idea of God using us to do big things through us is a big rock for us. We believe that, that Jesus has given you dreams and an identity that lives and breathes when you live and breathe. 
And that means that you've got to be you to see the kingdom of heaven come through you. And we just want you to come alive in God and whatever it is that you're doing. A world mandate is going to be a big piece uh, of telling that story for us uh, as a church and, and as a community. So we've been, uh, if you were here last week, we launched into a series of talks that we're calling I'm Done. Okay, we, we, we started this conversation with this idea of wasting our strength. And we looked at these amazing uh, truths that were given from a mother to a son in Proverbs 31, 3. And this is what it says. Don't waste your strength on women or the vigor on those who ruin kings. Don't waste your strength. Don't waste your strength. Don't pour out the strength that you've been given on the things that are going to ruin you. We have a disco meet going on back here. I'm seeing flickering. Do I need to dance? Is that what needs to happen? Give me a background track, Ty. If it's going to go like that, let's go hard. All right? Let's do this, okay? So this, this whole idea of not wasting our strength and, and not being somebody that pours out the strength that we've been given on the things that actually ruin us. And we began to unpack a couple of passages of scripture that, that led us along in this journey, one of them being in 2 Peter 1. It says his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life, that Jesus has given us everything that we need, not some of what we need, everything that we need. So when we come to a place where we feel like the temptations are too strong for us, then we begin to need to ask the question, it's not so much am I strong enough, it's have I wasted my strength so now I can't stand on the things that I know that I should stand on because I've poured my strength out on things that ruin me versus using the strength that God's given me to live a life that he's called me to live. Because when we step into this beautiful relationship with Jesus, we encounter everything that we need. And I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out for you so that you can endure it. And so we started this fight together of getting our strength back, understanding that there is enough in Jesus and Jesus inside of me to stand up underneath the things that we feel like are crushing us. And so if you find yourself in a fight right now where you feel that the temptation is too much for you to bear, then all of us began this journey last week of saying, I want to look at how I'm using the strength that I've been given because maybe there's some aspects and some avenues in my life where I'm wasting strength. So when that temptation moment comes, I actually can't stand up underneath the temptation because I've already drained the strength that God gave me to stand up underneath it on things that ruin kings, on the things that ruin us. And so we together said, you know what, we're going to get our strength back by getting our mind back. And so we started diving into Romans 12 too. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. And then Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, throw off everything that hinders, the sin that so easily entangles, and run with perseverance the race marked out for us 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so this reality hit us that although the struggle is real, we don't have to struggle. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is that although the struggle is real, you don't have to struggle. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you do not have to struggle, that there's freedom, that there's a new way of living that will give you what you need to be able to look and say, yeah, the struggle is real, but I don't have to struggle. I'm not saying that the struggle's not out there, but I'm just saying that there's something in me that gives me what I need so that I don't have to struggle, even though I can see that the struggle is real. But I wonder if there's a few of us, because I know that I surely can relate to what Paul wrote in Romans 7. If you have a Bible, jump with me to Romans 7. We're going to start in verse 15, and we're going to go to verse 20 here. We're going to be all over the Bible this morning. I hope you're cool with that. Anybody like to read the Bible? Yeah, anybody get a new Bible for Christmas and now you can't find anything? Why does that happen? You ever think about that? Like you get a new Bible and then all of a sudden it's like, I can't find anything. I can't even find, it's like I forgot the books of the Bible. You know, that's not why I'm struggling right now. This is just lack of preparation. That's what this is. This is an old Bible, but I moved my marker. Romans 7, you good? You with me? Just three people, okay. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. And it is. It's no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not good, it, for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do is the thing that I do. There's a lot of do's in there. You with me? One more verse. The do's end here. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I practice that sentence. It's no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me. It's no longer I who do it, but the sin that's living in me. Now, I want to have a real moment as a church. Can we just have a real moment right now? Can we just get real, kind of take the mask off a little bit and, like, really dive into some real stuff? I have a problem. Okay, and me even telling you this problem is going to make you judge me, and every time that you look at me, you're going to have trouble looking at me the same way because I'm getting ready to tell you a struggle that I have. It's something that I do that I don't want to do, but I keep on doing it. I pick my toenails. It's gross. I know it's nasty. Okay. Like I feel you judging me right now. That's okay. I can handle it. I prepare for this moment. Like, but I do, I pick my toenails. And, and for those of you who are smart and don't do stuff like this, like it's not just disgusting and nasty and gross. It actually causes like an enormous amount of pain. This is the best part about picking your toenails because it makes no sense at all. I'm just doing it subconsciously, you know, I'm just like, I just find a little, little part of the nail that's hanging up, and I start pulling on it, then all of a sudden I rip, and then half the nail comes off, and then I wake up in the middle of the night, and my toe is like four times as big, and it's filled with pus, and I can't walk, right? You get these things called ingrown toenails. It's absolutely terrible. It's horrible. Now, I'm not going to ask any of you to raise your hands to do this, but I know that some of you do do this, okay? 
so judge lightly. But the crazy thing is, is that there is no like, hey, do you pick your toenails to the point of needing medical care question when you're engaged to be married? Like that question doesn't come up in premarital counseling. Like Liz never asked me about my toenails and never wondered why I never wore sandals. You know what I'm saying? Like we just never had to go there. And then this moment happened where I'm married. We've been married and I do this to myself. I pick my toenails and I can't walk. And I have to have a conversation with her. And have you ever had a conversation where as things are coming out of your mouth, you realize how dumb you are? Has this happened to anybody else, right? So I'm telling her, like, as I'm limping through the house, she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, well, you know, last night when you went to bed and I stayed up and I watched that movie, um, you know, so I, I was like, picking my toenail a little bit, you know, it was kind of, and she's like, the more that I'm talking, she's looking at me like, this is weird. This is really, really weird, you know? And so I finally get to the point where I'm like, yeah, I picked my toenail, and then I like ripped the nail off, and now it's like growing. I probably need you to take me to the hospital because it's very infected, and, and, and like there's a lot of pus and things. I think my toe's going to fall off. Like, and she looks at me, and she says, she has this question. Why did you do that? <laughs> and the truth is, I was like, I had no answer. I had no, I do not know why I did it. I don't know when I started it. I don't know why I started it. And so I'm like, I don't know. I, I have no idea why I picked my toenails. But I wonder. If we're asked about some specific things in our lives, if the real answer to that question, to some of the things that we do is, I have no idea why I keep doing this. It causes me pain, and it hurts my ability to dysfunction in life. I don't know why I do this. I don't want to do it. I hate it, but I still do it, and I don't understand why. And that's why when we read Romans 7, 15, and Paul starts breaking down all these do's in this little, like, first version of a rap, you know? And he's like, what I do, I don't know what I do, but what I want to do, I don't do, because I hate what I do. You know what I mean? Like, he's, like, spitting this at the, the Romans. That has to be the only explanation of why he wrote it that way is because he was spitting it at him, right? So, so we're like, I don't understand a lot of the Bible. Like, there might be a lot of the Bible that I don't get, but I get that. You know what I'm saying? You're like, okay, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but what I do understand is that I do things that I don't want to do. We all understand that. Every single one of us gets that. And so this morning, we're going to go on a journey together of beginning to unpack the why. Like, why do we do the things that we don't want to do? What is the why behind these things that we hate? And we hate that we do it, but we can't seem to not do it. So check this out. So for today, this is going to be us. Don't you look good? You do. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that we were created in the image of God. 
It says, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we, that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We were made in the image of God. Every aspect of God, we were made in his image, not part of it. We were made in the image of God. And that means that we're also made in likeness of his nature. That when Adam and Eve were made, the nature that was inside of them, their soul, how they lived and what they lived from was like God. And, and that's kind of broken down for us in Galatians 5.22 where we read these things that are called the fruits of the spirit, right? It's like the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right, that's the, the fruit of the spirit. That's kind of the fruit of a spirit nature. So when Adam and Eve were created by God in the image of God, the nature that was inside of them was like God. Do you agree? The answer to that question is yes. Everybody say it. Do you agree? Yes. So their nature was like God. So they were filled with a spirit nature. Y'all want to have some fun with some ping pong balls this morning? Okay. All right. So they were filled. They were made in his image and filled in his likeness. So they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, made in his image, and their nature was like God. The fruit of the Spirit was what drove them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And they were in a garden made by God that had everything that they needed. In that garden, there was absolute perfection and provision. They were not in lack. They needed nothing. They had everything that they wanted. And God placed in the middle of this garden, in the middle of perfection, in the middle of their provision, a tree. And he told them, he said, look, you can have anything that you want to have. You can eat any fruit from any tree in this garden. But this one right here, you do not eat its fruit. Do not eat from this tree. You can have anything else, but just don't eat from this tree. You can have anything. Let me say it again. You can have anything. Just don't eat from this tree. And we kind of know this story, right? So the devil comes and begins to lie to Eve and seeds a lie to Eve that is seeded to us even to this day. And he says this in three, Genesis 3 verse 1. Did God really say? Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So she looks at the fruit, and she's like, yeah, actually, I don't know what God really said. I mean, isn't that interesting, right? The very lie that had sin entered the world is the very lie that we believe all the time. Did God really say, is God really going to meet all my needs? Is God keeping something from me that's going to really meet my needs? And so Adam and Eve do the very thing that they were told not to do, right? They take the fruit. They eat the fruit. And it says this in Genesis 3, verse 7. It says, Instantly, their eyes were opened. It says their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. I mean, this is what's critical to understand is that as soon as they took the bite of the fruit and they did the thing that was outside of God's perfect plan for them, they were hit in the face with lack, need, shame, and fear. That was the direct correlation to disobedience. And Paul gives us some amazing insight in Romans 5 of some behind the scenes of what was happening in 
this moment. It says this in Romans 5 verse, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin. In this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. And so as soon as Adam and Eve made this decision on behalf of mankind, sin entered the world. And so no longer was their nature a nature of the spirit that would be defined as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Their nature had been corrupted by the sin that was now inside of them and that death reigned from that point on. No longer did life reign, but death reigned. And so they had a nature change. No longer were they filled with the spirit of God. Spirit can get messy. But they were filled with a sin nature. And that sin nature was now what drove them. And that's why we see that even one generation after Adam and Eve, right, we see the first murder. Because they were making decisions and living from a different nature. Their nature was different. Sin had entered the world and it corrupted everything. And that corruption had a repercussion. And so now we have this idea of a sin nature that has become pervasive. And that's also defined for us in Galatians 5, starting in verse 19. It says the acts of the flesh, which is also another word that's used throughout Scripture to define the, our sin nature are obvious. Everybody say obvious. It's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. The sin nature and what that means was now seeded. Not the spirit nature. The sin nature was now what was inside of humanity. Nobody can escape it. Paul made that clear. Is that all have sinned, therefore all are going to die. That because sin entered through one man, we all have sinned. That the decision that Adam and Eve made corrupted humanity to the point that we now have a different nature. We have a sin nature. This is why nobody has to teach a kid how to lie. This is amazing. Did you eat a cookie? They got crumbs on their face, chocolate on their forehead, and half of the cookie on their shirt. And they're like, nope. Nobody taught that kid to lie. Their sin nature, what's inside of them, forced that decision out of their mouth. And this is a huge differentiation for us because as a culture, we've gotten away from the truth that Paul made clear in Romans 7.15 that it says, I mean, excuse me, what Paul says where he says that it's the sin living inside of us, Romans 7, 20. That what's coming out of us is the sin that's living inside of us. That when we do something we don't want to do, it's no longer I, but the sin that's living inside of us. We don't like to think about life like that. Because we now live in a society and a cultural norm that we do things, we do fill in the blank because of fill in the blank happened to me. Now, what I'm not saying is that some of you have endured some incredibly horrific, terrible abuses, sexual abuse, physical abuse, terrible things have happened to you. I'm not talking about that. That is not your fault. You were wronged, and I am very sorry that that happened to you. 
and you do not need to wonder if that was because of something that you did. That was not something that you did. That was something that happened to you, and that was evil manifesting itself through somebody else and taking advantage of you, and I am sorry. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is that we do things and we don't take responsibility for it. It's the age old, like it used to be back in the day, if your kid's struggling at school, then you would lean into your kid. Now it's like your kid's struggling in school, they're not doing their work, they're acting up, they're not respecting the teacher. The issue is not the kid, the issue is the teacher. I mean, that's where we're at as a society is that we have shifted from thinking that we do the things that we don't want to do and do the things that we shouldn't do, not because of the sin nature that's inside of us, but because of the things that are happening around us. But the truth is, is that we have a nature problem. And that's why Paul goes on to say in verse 21 this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in the law of God, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what's beautiful about what Jesus did is that Jesus created an avenue for the greatest rescue mission of all time for there to be another nature shift. So when we give our life to Jesus, no longer are we subject to the sin nature because we are washed whiter than snow, right? The old is gone and the new has what? Come. So there's a sin nature shift. So all of a sudden, this sin nature that had been kind of messing with you, the sin likes to stick around a little bit. You may have to loosen up that sin. And so that sin nature that's been driving you and forcing you into the things that are ruining you is no more because in light of Jesus and what he made a way for, we now have a new nature. And that new nature is actually the original nature because Jesus has always been in the game of taking us back to the original design of God, to have relationship with him, to walk with him, to live with him face to face, to know him and to experience the provision of life with him and so the spirit nature becomes our new nature right and we become saved and filled up again by the spirit of God and so now no longer is it the sin that's living inside of us right because we have a new nature and that new nature is a total new nature. It's, not, it's that, remember what we read at the beginning of this time, right? With it, when we encounter Jesus, we get everything that we need to live a godly life. But the truth is, is that although we get a new nature, old habits die hard, don't they? And transformation of your nature does not necessarily equal transformation in your behavior because habits die hard. And so most of us, if we're honest, and we're going to have a real conversation here this morning, right? If we're honest, we don't feel like this. We feel like this. A mixture of death and life. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do? I want to do good. But there's a law that's waging war inside of me that when I want to do good, what 
evil is right there with me. So what do we do with this war? What do we do with this war that's inside of us? This fight inside of us that we've been made new, that we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. How do we begin to deal with these habits that kind of cause us to want to reach back into the bucket of our old life and live from that place? What do we do with that? How do we fight this fight right here? I think it's extremely simple, actually. We repent and we own it. We repent and we own it. We have to own our sin. We have to own it. We have to stop using words like I struggle with something and start calling it what it is. I have a sin problem. A struggle you can work your way out of. But sin's something that you need deliverance from. And I think that we run our race and we try to throw off the things that, that are taking our energy. We try to get rid of the things that are sapping our strength. But we don't ever really own this. I know that I don't like to own my sin I, because that means I have to take responsibility for my actions. And when I do something stupid, it's so much easier to blame other people. It's way harder to look in the mirror. It's way harder to look in the mirror and be like, I did that. I'm struggling because I did that. Not, not because of this. Not because I'm going through a tough time financially, so I made the bad decision. Not because I'm tired. I did it because I have sin living in me. And I need to come back to Jesus and say, God, I repent of my sin. Because when we live in this deception that we actually don't have sin and we shift all of our sin onto other people, this is what John says in 1 John about the repercussions of that. It says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But check this out. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. That if we are faithful to own it and repent of it, Jesus is faithful to forgive us of it and to begin to take out this sin nature that's been destroying us because we get, what, transformed by the renewing of our mind. And every time we say, God, I'm sorry of this sin. I'm sorry of the lust that's inside of me. Nobody did that to me. I did that to me. I own it, and I repent of it, and I'm going to shatter my phone so I don't look at stuff anymore. Boom, taking care of the sin nature, right? I'm sorry, God, I'm, I'm an arrogant person. I'm mean because I'm arrogant. It's not because other people are mean to me and I deserve better than what I have. I have a pride problem. I have a sin problem. Boom. Own it. Repent of it. Change from it. And all of a sudden, the transformation, and we become more like Jesus. We become Christ-like. That's the power of repentance. But we think that if we repent, then we're going to get further away from God, right? We think that if I really tell God what's really going on in me, as if he doesn't already know, and if I let the community that's around me really in on what's really going on inside of me, that I'm not going to experience transformation and intimacy and breakthrough. I'm going to experience isolation, defeat, 
and paint, right? That's what we think, that if we really come clean and get real with our sin in our lives, that we're going to experience the opposite of what is promised in 1 John. But there's this amazing story that I want to end on this morning, and it happens in Luke 7. In Luke 7, there's this story where Jesus is invited by this Pharisee, this religious leader of, of the day named Simon, to his house for a dinner party. So Jesus shows up at this dude's house and sits down at the table, reclines, begins to hang out. And the food is brought out. And there was a woman that Luke refers to just as a sinful woman. He kind of put it together that she was most likely a prostitute finds out that Jesus is at Simon's house. And so she shows up at the dinner party uninvited and unwanted. And just in my mind's eye, it's like, man, if like people come to a dinner party in my house and they're not invited, they're not getting through the front door. So she must have busted her way through every obstacle and person who is telling her that she didn't belong there so that she could just stand behind Jesus. And so here you have this woman and she's like standing right behind Jesus and, and she just begins to weep because that's what happens, man. No one has to tell you that you're filled with sin when you're standing in light of holiness. Like you just become aware of it. And so she just loses it, man. And she starts feeling bad that she's crying so hard and she's like getting her tears on Jesus' feet. So she bends down on the ground, starts using her hair to wipe the tears off of his feet. And then she just begins to kiss his feet. And then she had brought with her like this perfume. It was a tool of her trade. Probably everything that she had, something she used to smell beautiful and to maybe feel clean when she knew that she was everything but that. She takes this perfume and she just pours it out on Jesus' feet. It's amazing because the religious leaders are just watching this happen. And they start thinking these things like, man, if Jesus, do you know who this is? Because you say that you're a prophet, but you're like letting this woman, that if you were a prophetic person, you would know that this lady is like bad news, dude. Like you need to stay away from her, man. Like this is not what you're supposed to do. She's dirty, dude. She's unlovable. She's been used, washed up. She's made decisions that, that just you can't come back from those decisions. Jesus, like you should know this. Like you're supposed to be a rabbi, like a holy person, and you're letting this woman who's touched every single person in our town inappropriately touch you. And Jesus looks at the religious leaders because he is a prophetic person, and so he knew because he's God what they were thinking, which in all and of itself would be terrifying to have a conversation with Jesus. And he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher, two people were owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, and neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon do you see this woman I came into your house you didn't give me any water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears 
and wipe them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven and his great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. This is what happens when you repent of your sin. When you come to Jesus and everything in you, every religious bone in you that says that I shouldn't do this, this is not how you go about this. I'm supposed to put on a good face, say the right thing, do the right thing. I'm at church right now. Everybody in here is doing great and crushing it in life and nobody has any issues and no one has any struggles. Wrong. We all have issues. We all have struggles. And the only way that we fight this war is by owning what's in us, the sin that's living in us. Repent of it and come to Jesus and allow his holiness to begin to shift around our brokenness and allow the restoration of forgiveness to begin to live inside of us. That's the only way we fight this fight. You can't do this on your own. You're not strong enough to wage this war. You're destined to lose. That's why Jesus came to do what you could do. And the Bible says that God will fight for us. We need only to be still. All we have to do is show up and look at his feet. That's it. This woman just showed up and stood behind Jesus. And Jesus did everything else. Everything else. It's time for freedom to reign here. It's time for the masks because everything's going great and I don't need any help and I don't have any struggles to fall on the ground. And it's time for us to have a moment just like this woman did where we come to Jesus aware that we are sinful people, that what is going on inside of me doesn't have anything to do with what's happening around me, but the sin that's living inside of me. And we need to repent of our sin and own it and allow the cross of Jesus to kill it. Because you don't have a struggle. You have a sin problem. I have a sin problem. And that sin problem only changes when I lean into Jesus. We're not looking for behavior change. We're looking for a heart change. Because when our heart changes, our behavior changes. That's what we're after.